of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is producer, engineer, and founder of the audio website, Gearspace.com, Jules Standen. First of all, a new study has confirmed that some music genres are favored by streaming distributors like Spotify and Apple Music and Tidal and Deezer and just about everybody else. This was suspected by everybody, and now it's been found to be true by two university studies. And what they found was mostly hip-hop and pop and dance music is favored by streaming distributors. Blues, jazz, and metal tend to be shortchanged. Now, this actually isn't intentional. might seem that way, but it isn't. And here's why. When you read about Spotify is paying X amount per stream and Tidal is paying X amount per stream, that's not actually really true because artists don't get paid by stream, they get paid by market share. What you're reading about is only the average after they look at it over the course of X amount of months. The way your payment is determined is all the revenue from fees and subscriptions are totaled up for that month, minus the expenses, of course, and then divided by the total tracks. So how many streams do you have that can be divided into this total revenue? That determines what your payout is. So what that means is you get paid on market share, not by per stream. So the more streams you have, the bigger your market share, the more money you make. And this is going to be different every single month. So, of course, what's most popular today? It's pop, it's hip-hop, and to a lesser degree, dance music. But here's what those genres really have going for them. All the songs are short. And when you look at blues and metal and jazz and classical, all of the songs are long. So it doesn't matter if it's a two-minute song or if it's a 15-minute song. They get paid the same. It counts as one stream. In the long run, what ends up happening is you're paying for music that you never really listen to. This might change when we get to what they call user-centric payments, meaning that the artist is only going to get paid from the people that actually listen to them. So in other words, if you listen to Dave Matthews' band 90% of the time, then Dave Matthews' band is going to get 90% of the money that you spend every month. This isn't implemented by anybody yet, although there are a number of streaming services that are threatening to do this, but this might be the most fair way of artists getting paid by streaming services out of anything we've seen so far. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Now, believe it or not, there's a brand new music distribution format. It's a physical format. It's called Ionic Original. And the biggest proponent right now is producer T-Bone Burnett. So this looks basically like a record because that's what it really is. 
What they claim is it delivers recorded music at the quality level of an acetate. Now, the acetate is the first record that's made from the tape. And then later, there are many, many copies in order to get to the final vinyl copy to you. But this is the very, very first one. It's the best sounding of them all. That's what every producer and artist always wants to hear and never can. The biggest problem with an acetate is it's very soft material. It's almost like layers and layers of nail polish they're put together. So it's very easy to cut, but the problem is that it wears out really fast. Ionic Original uses something called Ionic Deposition, which is a coating that's applied over the lacquer that reduces friction. And it means that you can play this particular recording, this particular product, thousands of times with no degradation. It doesn't attract dust. And if you own vinyl records, you know that dust is the enemy because it's your clicks and pops. And it fixes most of the problems of vinyl. The discs themselves, they don't scratch, they don't decay, and they're going to last far longer than anything else, plus sound better than any vinyl you've ever heard. Sounds great, doesn't it? Downside, it's still a petroleum-based product. So it's not environmentally friendly. And not only that, there's supply chain issues because it's a petroleum-based product. So this is another one of those formats, I think, that holds great potential, but is probably out of sync with the times. This would have come out in 1999. It would have come out in the 80s. It would have been huge. But now vinyl is a big seller, but it's not a major seller. So this sounds like a great idea, but it's probably not one that you're going to see anytime soon. My guest this week is Jules Standen, who's worked as an engineer with groups like the Lemonheads, the Smiths, and Susie and the Banshees before starting an online forum for engineers in 2002. That hobby eventually grew into Gearspace.com, a place for all things audio, from gear forums and classifieds, to gear databases and reviews, Q&A sessions with famous producers and engineers, and a worldwide audio community. Gearspace is now celebrating its 20th year serving online audio geeks everywhere, with over 1 million discussion threads, 13 million posts, and 400,000 members. During the interview, we talked about Jules' engineering secret, how Gearspace got started, the questions most often asked on the forum, most popular topic right now, and much more. I spoke with Jules via Zoom from his office in the UK. Let's talk about your background because it's pretty interesting since you grew up in the States and, or at least partially grew up in the States and then moved to the UK. Yeah. My uh, parents moved to the UK when I was um, eight, turning nine. And we arrived because my dad was doing, uh, he was studying, he was an academic studying um, English medieval history. And uh, America doesn't have any medieval history. So uh, we had to come here for it. And um, I, was, uh, I was in time to to see the Rolling Stones in the in Hyde Park, the big free concert, yeah. and uh, I thought it was a bit crowded and wanted to go home, um, but 
I was very proud to return. I think it was something like 30 years later or, or 40 years later to see them again in the park, you know, and that was a good feeling to, cause they're my favorite band. They turned out to be my favorite band. So, you know, it's funny you should mention about medieval history because I was visiting a friend in Nottingham and he was showing me around. We're walking down the street and he says, yeah, this is the new part of town. It's only four or 500 years old. Yeah. <laughs> which explains you know the difference between america and the uk pretty much architecturally anyway yeah so i grew up in in england and um it was interesting to see um to see england through kind of like my my parents american eyes you know so um i was i was in england when mcdonald's arrived for the first time and that was uh and that was uh, interesting. And um, and my parents were very uh, into music. So I, they took me to see uh, the mamas and the papas at, at, um, at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And uh, and they'd actually seen Dylan on, on that famous tour when he played electric and people didn't like it. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, sort of... Um, I wouldn't call it a musical family because no one could play an instrument, but I grew up on the doors and the stones and Sonny and Cher and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how did you get into engineering then? Well, um, a friend of mine, I, I was going to be a rock star. That was the, that was the plan A. That's how we all start. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I got in bands and, uh, I, I, uh, when I did gigs, uh, I, I, uh, I'd be on stage and I have this sort of um, unsettled feeling that everyone in the room was looking sort of in my direction and I didn't like it. So, uh, so that's not a very good qualification for, uh, for, for being on stage. Yeah. So uh, uh, when a friend of mine got a job at a studio, I, I dropped in to, to, to see him and uh, I just thought it was so cool. It was a funky, uh, it was a, it's, it wasn't a high-end studio, so things were often breaking down, but it had three different rooms. And so lots of things were happening there. And I, I just saw him uh, suggest a melody to uh, a band and he sung it with his mouth uh, to a keyboard player. And then the keyboard player sort of said, you mean this and played it. And, and the guy and my friend said, yes. And then he rolled the tape, press record. The next thing, the, the melody that he'd suggested was on the recording. And I thought, that's amazing. And I thought the whole, being able to influence a, a recording, I thought would uh, really excited me. So I threw myself at the feet of the uh, people that, that ran the studio and, and begged them for a job. And it worked. It worked. It worked. And I, I was 22. So I was a bit older than um, most of the interns and runners. So I made sure to keep the job. And you were there for a while, right? Yeah, for in-house for six years at least. So I moved up from uh, uh, gopher, T-boy, uh, to tape op, assistant engineer, to in-house engineer. And then very soon on, I, I decided I wanted to be the boss of sessions. I'd, I'd seen sessions running, and I wanted to be in charge. And I quickly realized that the sessions that I could be in charge of uh, easily without uh, waiting for years in the corner as an assistant would be demo sessions. So what I'd do is I'd go out and I'd, um, I'd go to all, uh, pubs and clubs where bands were playing uh, uh, to try in front of A&R people in London. 
and I'd go to those clubs and see bands. And after the show, with the bands I liked, I'd say, hey, I really like you guys. Are, are you, are you, have you got any recordings planned? And they said, well, yes, we do. And um, the last recordings we did, it was with some guy who was like yawning at six o'clock. And like, you know, I asked him, they'd say, how was that vocal? And the guy would go, what? You know, <laughs> you know, wasn't paying any attention. And so I offered myself up as someone that would care about their recordings and would go to rehearsals and, and work things out with them beforehand. And they thought that was cool. So so I would sort of um, winagle my way into their demo recordings. And then what would happen is that the that quite often with this sort of care and attention, the demo recordings would were often picked up and liked a lot. And then uh, fast forward, I, I, I got good at this sort of um, uh, demon demo making. And it would be that a band would be shopping around for a deal and they'd go and see a lawyer, they, lawyers and A&R people. And several of them would say, eh, you're good live and stuff, but these recordings aren't good. You need to go and see Julian Standen, you know. And um, so, so I get calls from managers saying, oh, we've done like three recordings, but but we've been recommended to you. And then, then I, would, I would put some seniority down and I would pick the numbers that we'd work on. And then, and the bands would go, well, why do you want to work on that? Everyone's heard that one. And I'd say, well, it's a terrible version of it. And so we're going to do these three. So we do maybe three songs. And then the next thing, an indie label would say, would pick them up and say, we love that, that those tracks, you know, and the band would say, well, they're just demos. And I said, well, a hip indie label wants to put them out as a single. Yeah. The manager would be pleased. I'd be pleased. And the next thing, my productions would be on uh, indie radio stations. And uh, it got to the stage where the, the sort of the big indie station in London, XFM, was it was kind of like my, a jukebox for my productions. I was I was on there the whole time on on the playlist. So uh, so so I, I, I operated in that uh, sort of niche, you know, of uh, demon demos, early recordings. And the sessions were very jolly. The, the, the every everything was let's go, you know. They weren't jaded. They weren't, where's the Coke dealer? And, you know, yeah. where's my, uh, where's the limo? And, and uh, why, why aren't we at this cool party and, and, and stuff like that? They're all very on the way up. And uh, I liked it. And they're all very young as well. So I would kid around like a sort of, um, like a ridiculous sort of Homer Simpson half joke, you know, character funning around and, I knew I was much older than them, but I just clown around and we, we'd have fun. It was half boot camp, half comedy. You know, we'd 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 get three tracks out of it. And um, I later discovered that, you know, there's something about me that doesn't have the attention span for an album. <laughs> but uh, for three songs, I'm, I'm golden, you know, so I would pick the three radio tracks. So that's all I worked on was the, the band's three best songs that, that that's for my whole career. That's all I did. That sounds like the most fun, actually. Yeah. No filler, no, quote, interesting tracks, no yeah. no seven-minute opuses, you know. Let's talk about Gear Space, or as it was formerly called, Gear Sluts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, uh, years ago, I, I was I was due to, um, I had a chance with some finance to, to, to buy some gear and set up my own studio. So I, I really 
went on a big research trip. You know, I wanted uh, I wanted the gear to be useful for all sorts of things for me to use it in studios as I traveled from one studio to another and to be able to use it in a, my own studio. And I, I sort of went on an online, it was early days for online. So I was, I was uh, doing a lot of research online uh, about um, equipment and phoning people up, but I sort of fell into news groups. There was a news group called rec.audio.pro. I remember it well. Yeah. And I like the, I like the camaraderie there, the, you know, people would tune in there after a session and, 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 and bitch about how their session was, it was terrible and no one showed up or, or didn't pay and stuff. And it was fun to, to hang out with uh, fellow engineers, you know, in the trenches. I I really enjoyed that. Me too. So how'd that lead you to gear sluts? Well, I, I, I got, I got, I got into it as sort of a hobby. And then, then I, I was on several early days forums. And, and then I got a spot at um, a forum to, uh, to sort of look after it, uh, to, to be a moderator of one section of a forum. And I called all my friends over here online. And that, and that blew up, got, got, got really popular. And then the person that ran the forum wanted to charge everyone to be a member and that didn't really go down very well. So then I kind of had nothing to do. And then someone suggested that for a hundred bucks, you could, you could buy forum software and uh, I could, I could start my own. So I did that. And, uh, and I picked um, a merry band of men. They were all sort of good natured, you know, cause you get, you can get a lot of grumpy people online. And um, so I wanted people to be kind of upbeat and um, I got, um, I got various people that were good at certain things, you know, uh, and uh, put them in charge um, of their own little areas and then started like that. I did another shout out to all around the Internet and uh, boom, I had a little instant start because of my because of my two or three years prior. People just jumped on, you know, and that was like an instant start. It's gear sluts, gear space now, but gear sluts. So Mm -hmm. were you emphasizing just audio gear from the start. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. And this, and the, slut, the sluts part was a joke on us and, and, and being, you know, having no control over our collection of microphones and wanting more. And yeah, I get that. Yeah. Perfectly. Yeah. The, the, the joke, the joke wore off after time and I, I can see that. And so, uh, happy to, happy to change it really. So wasn't there a petition to change it? Yep. Yep. There was, there was. And it kind of did us a favor, really, because um, I don't know. It was as as I say, it was like a it's like an eighteen year old, um, well now twenty year old, uh, uh, word joke, and uh, it kind of it kind of played out, had its had its time. Okay, so you changed the name and mm-hmm. the URL, and I know you can still point gear sluts to gear space, but did you have a problem with SEO or people finding you, or you know, it's a rebrand, so that could hurt you sometimes. Yeah, it ding trafficked a little bit, but uh, not too bad. You know, we 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 could we could deliver all the ads we'd sold, and if you look at the 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 regular member traffic, that's just absolutely flatline and no change whatsoever. So, uh, no disruption to that. Uh, we're doing tweaks to to um, SEO tweaks all the time. So, when did you decide to charge for it, or oh, or, or, or do advertising? I mean. 
Oh, advertising. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, after about two years, someone pointed out, you know, you've got enough traffic, you should probably sell ads on it. And um, so the first thing we did was we did an Apogee giveaway as that was the first ad. And I thought, who can object to that? You know, there's a win, win some free stuff. And who's going to who's going to cry about that? Yeah. yeah. And um, we're quite uh, I like to say we're quite uh, low key about ads. I mean, you know, if you go to an American car site or something or, you know, just things leaping out, taking over your page. And we're, we're, I think we're still quite low key and restrained with with our ads and their own. We don't do network ads. There's no Google ads. So if you were looking at a camera and bought it, uh, we're not going to show you that camera four months onwards from you buying it and try and get you to buy it again or something, you know, so yeah. it's all audio ads, you know? Yeah. Don't you hate that? Oh, terrible. I'm curious as to if you look back over the 20 years, is there a topic that's been like the most popular? Mm. Well, people, people want to know how to get um, um, commercial sounding mixes, you know, and so did I when I was mixing, you know. So that's a that's a big topic. And also another topic is giving clients mixes at the end of the evening and telling them to don't worry about comparing it to mastered music because it's not finished yet. And then the next morning the client comes in and says it's it, it doesn't sound anything like a mastered mix. It's it, it sounds so quiet and stuff. So so that's a that's a big topic with people having to feeling they have to sort of maximize their mixes and uh, so that so that's a big topic. Uh, which which microphone to use is a very big topic. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is 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 a lot of people are trying to buy one mic, which which might be okay for if if they're a, if they're the vocalist themselves, but if they're in a studio that has lots of vocalists. A lot of people, I think, assume that what they do is they set up and put in front of the singer their most expensive microphone, and that's it. Whereas really the way to do it in a studio is you put up what I call a press conference. You have about four mics or five mics, and you try them all quickly. You, you have to be careful not to wear the singer out, but you swap through them, and you might find that one of your cheapest mics sounds great on the singer, and you just have to move forward with that. And I think people miss miss that. So yeah, you have to match the the microphone to the source. That's right. Oh yeah. One thing I've I've always noticed and I thought was very cool on GearSpace is the fact that manufacturers will often announce a product there before anywhere else. Part of me wonders. Okay, are they looking for some feedback before they actually go wide? What, what's your thoughts? Well, um, there's been some products that have been literally designed from comments from from our audience. Really? Yeah. There's um, um, a console. Which one was it? It was, uh, I think, it was an Allen Heath G something, um, and um, they were on constantly getting input. So yeah, and we like it when manufacturers are interacting with the with the membership, uh, with the audience. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And it's really good to see that sort of feedback. SSL have, have often had a, um, a strong presence on the site, warm audio, Amphion, Adam, 
um, Head, all these brands, you know. Yeah, it's funny because I was just talking to one of my best friends before, and uh, he is one of these people that, regardless how old he is, he's always collecting gear still, and, and he's flipping old stuff and getting new stuff. And he was talking about, oh, I have to get a warm audio LA-2A. He can afford a real one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But he said, yes, the feedback I'm getting, and I saw something on Gearspace. So that's what he's going to get. That's great. Well, you know, there's, um, it's just the volume. You, you have to pick through and decide and filter yourself about this stuff. And, and often it's, it's, yeah, so there's, if there's a lot of opinions, you can, you can read through it. You can get to like certain people's style. You can look them up and see what they, they've also written. And I was thinking before coming on here that, that, that one of the nice things about, about Gearspace is the sort of descriptive language, you know, that people use about gear. It's, it's, it's fun to see people use their, their uh, intellect and their language capabilities to describe stuff. So I've enjoyed that. As you know, the controversy can, on just about anything can spin up real fast. How tightly do you moderate things? All right. Okay. Well, we don't uh, like people calling each other assholes, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, so that's not allowed. Uh, and we encourage a reporting of bad behavior. So we, we, look, we invite people to report uh, insults and then we can go and investigate and uh, clamp down on it. If it's not reported, they can fly around and also then people feel, well, he insulted me, so and and you didn't do anything about it, so uh, what am I going to do? I'm going to insult him back. And so that sort of back and forth thing happens, and and um, and then we may have to take some stuff down or delete the, the argument section. And then people can lose a lot of good, um, good content that way. Uh, so we... Yeah, we, we rely on reports and we, we rely on people that like the, like the community, like the forum and say, this is turning bad, you know, and uh, please go and have a look. So our moderators go and investigate. One of the big complaints, and, and this is all over, it's not just Gearspace, but it's the fact that some people have very strong opinions, yet they have nothing to base it on because they have no experience with the gear or the technique or whatever. And that's a hard thing to moderate as well. I don't know how you do that, actually. Yeah. So what we've got is a sort of a volume of, uh, of people. And that's where I said that you have to edit yourself and uh, see how people's style goes, whether you like it or not, and look at their other posts maybe and, and see what other people say. So, so if someone's talking bullshit, you'll find that quite a few people will call them out. And hopefully the um, truth will will prevail, you know. Yeah. What is the most popular topic like right now? Well, it would be synths. I started the forum as a sort of rock and roll engineer that was used to sort of live drums and guitars. And now it's uh, now a lot of it's about synths. So people are looking for affordable, affordable synths and they're continuously coming out so that and i would say like warm audio products are very very big topics 
they've captured the sort of um, the zeitgeist of the of the forum. So synths are a big deal. Obviously, recording has evolved a lot since you first started the forum. But have you seen like a big change in the type of member that you have from when you started to where it is now? Well, we had some people that were on the way up sort of professionally and use the forum as to sort of get clients in a way. Then they sort of got a load of clients and then they're they're too busy to be on the forum anymore. So so it's kind of like it's kind of like um People can say, oh, oh, they were much better when I saw them in a band, were much better when I saw them in a small club, and now they're in a big venue. It's it's not so good. So some people have uh some people have have uh grown from gear sluts and uh, and moved on and don't have t- any more time for it. But then there's other people that pop in their place and they're they're discovering and and so there's always there's it's it's an evolving membership, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you think Atmos is a big topic right now? Yes, it is. And we've got John Haynes in a, um, um, who's uh, an engineer for Taylor Swift and, uh, and also for, um, uh, Serban Ghania and, um, people really want to know what he has to say. And, uh, it is, it is confusing as hell because there's, there's really different flavors of it. You really do need a sort of a diagram and have lists of the different types of surround mix that that that, I, that iTunes offer, and and uh, it is confusing. So I think the topic of how to spec your studio out to mix in Atmos is um, is um, is something that, that 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 is ahead of us. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people are are interested. Uh, how about you? You're gonna you're gonna get yourself a seven point two room. Well, I've been thinking about it. Um, my mixing engineer's handbook, the fifth edition, just came out, and I spent the whole chapter, brand new chapter, on um, an Atmos primer and just immersive mixing in general. And it took a while. And the reason why is because back in the five point one days, when we were going from stereo to five point one. Everything was somewhat transferable. Everything that you knew, there's more speakers and, and, you know, some things were different, but not all that much. But now it's way different. There's some skills that are transferable, but there's a lot to learn before you can actually do anything. Uh And from what I can tell, there's a lot of people searching for knowledge out there, even though there's lots of it and really good stuff out there. I would think that that would be, you know, something that'd be really big. Teach me how to do it. Yeah, there's a Dolby Atmos um, thread on on Gearspace that I'm very proud of. Uh, so that's uh, worth checking out. Yeah, and it has has a lot of pros in there. Really, you know, giving some good information, solid information. Yeah, it's and even so, you can give good information unless you're in there doing it. You don't quite. Mm-hmm. It's not quite uh, the same. It doesn't register the same. But yes, to answer your question, I. I I will eventually put a room in. The interesting thing is, again, 5.1, it was kind of easy to you know, get more speakers and there was you know, a way to put them, you know, diagram and how to do it and everything. But now in Atmos 7.1.4 or 2, now we're talking about some construction that you need because it's not yeah. easy. 
Yeah, I'm hearing about a minimum room volume required. Yeah. And I, I kind of, part of me doesn't like the sound of that. I don't want to, uh, uh, it's like with Gearspace, you'd, 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 want, you'd want anybody to be able to do it in their bedroom or something, you know? And uh, I don't know. I don't think that's quite possible. But then you've got headphones, right? Yeah. Mixing in headphones. So that's another thing that's very interesting. There's lots of headphones that can do surround mixing. So I think, I think these, t- these are very interesting topics. The- okay, Jules, last question. What's the best piece of business advice that you either learned along the way or maybe somebody imparted to you? Try to get paid half up front. Uh, and the best bit of equipment, almost the best bit of equipment I had in my studio was the credit card machine when I had the studio, you know, cause, cause the, that way the, the guitarist could pay for the, for the drummer's part of the session, you know, yeah. the drummers, drummers always broke. And, uh, so the guitarist would roll their eyes and go, Oh God, I'll do it, you know, and, yeah. uh, and pay for it. So, um, it's, it's funny you should mention that. I remember going to New York to Howard Schwartz recording, which was a really big post house, one of the biggest in, in New York. And Howie was taking me around, and it was on three floors now in, in a skyscraper in New York, downtown Manhattan. And he took me down, and we're walking, and we're walking, and we're walking, and we're walking, and finally we get to the end of a corridor, and he says, this is the one piece of equipment that makes me more money than anything. And it was a cappuccino machine. <laughs> but he put it as far away from the studios as he could. The reason why it would take him 10 minutes to walk to it and 10 minutes to walk back that he would charge for, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like it. Well, it's been 20 years on Gearspace. So I want to thank everybody that's, uh, that had a part of it and my amazing team, for being part of it. You can find out more about Jules and Gearspace at gearspace.com. That's Gearspace, G-E-A-R-S-P-A-C-E, all one word, gearspace.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.